Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. One of the most memorable teams in the storied history of Kentucky basketball were the Runts. Ruff's Runts, to be exact. The 1965-66 season turned out to be a memorable season as the Runts compiled a record of 27-2. In this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, you will get an inside look at what it was like practicing and playing with the Runts from Cliff Berger. There wasn't a player over 6'5 in that starting lineup for Rupp, but it was players like Cliff Berger that added depth to that team. We'll start at the very beginning from his days growing up in Centralia, Illinois, and he will discuss his time with the Runts in that 1965-66 season, including the national championship game. I think you will also be curious about Cliff's reflections of that time period as well. Also, Cliff confirms to me a story that I've heard for years about a certain orange fruit and what the students did with that certain orange fruit during a game. A young Kentucky fan once saw a picture of the Runts dressed up and described them as saying they looked like the Beatles. A writer from the Courier-Journal said in Kentucky, the runts were bigger than the Beatles. I'm Bo Robinson, and I want you to let Oscar take you backstage and on that big stage of Kentucky basketball with Cliff Berger. This is the story of Cliff Berger, and this is Conversations with Oscar Combs. Cliff, how big is Centralia, Illinois? Well, Centralia is a city of about 12,000 when I grew up. It's about 14,000 now, so it's a fairly small town in, in southern Illinois, about... 50 miles due uh, east of St. Louis. And uh, growing up in Centralia, a little bit about your childhood. Well, I'm an only child. Um, My dad uh, was an employee of the U.S. Postal Service. My mother was a secretary to the principal of the high school, although she started Hollywood Candy Company with uh, big computers. Hollywood's the ones that made zeros and butternuts and all those kind of things. That's why I have all the silver in my teeth these days because she used to bring Led you to your profession years later. Exactly. (laughs) That started me ready for dentistry right there. And uh, it's mostly a a farming community, but uh, the Illinois Central Railroad goes through there and the roundhouse and all that's there. So um, it's, it's, it was a nice place to grow up. Were you always uh, acclimated or fond of basketball? And playing basketball in Illinois and your part of the state, was that a one-class system? Yeah, I've always been into basketball, uh, and, and it was a one-class system at that time. They have since gone to divisions. Um, but I started playing when I was in about third grade, and um, we had a city team that would be like a J um, – a, a, middle school team here, but we didn't have middle schools back then. So it was sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And we used to travel to little towns around uh, close, Salem, Mount Vernon, uh, uh, Heron, and against uh, teams we later played high school basketball against. We played on a smaller scale. And then, of course, we got into the, the high school, and high school basketball is very big in southern Illinois. How good was your basketball team? They were very good. Um, when I was there, we were um, we, we were happened to have a really good run. 
Uh, my sophomore, junior, and senior years, we well, my junior and senior year, we were sixty and four. So we won 60 games and lost How four. How far did you make into the uh, tournament? My, my junior year, we lost two games each by one point, including the state finals. So you were in a state championship. State championship game, lost by one. When did you first become interested in playing college basketball, maybe earning a scholarship? First started thinking about it maybe when I was a sophomore. I was six foot six at that time. I'd had a big growth spurt from my freshman year to sophomore. Still was not starting on the um, on our high school team because I said we had a very good high school team. And my junior year, um, we had three All-Staters on the team, and I wasn't one of them. So uh, when I say we were very good, one of the boys went to uh, Murray State on scholarship. The other two went to Evansville College at that time on schol- basketball scholarships. So I started thinking about it as a sophomore. Who was the first school you became interested in? Um, the first one that showed interest in me was Stout State College in Menominee, Wisconsin. And I got a letter from them when I was in, uh, in 10th grade. Um, I started hearing from bigger schools, of course, as a, a junior and, and made two trips between my junior and senior years to uh, one to the University of Illinois, uh, which, of course, was in Champaign, fairly close to Centray, about 100, and, 100 miles away, 150, and then one to Michigan State in East Lansing. And as that recruiting process went on, did Kentucky become interested in you first or you become interested in Kentucky? How did that recruitment go? I heard from Kentucky uh, first, uh, and it was during my senior year. I'd, we had a, um, a tournament that I'd uh, played in over in, uh, in Salem, Illinois, and I think Neil Reed, who was the, um, the gentleman who was the recruiter at that time, had seen me in that game. It was a nice game because the center for the other team was six foot three, so <laughs> I, I, I kind of had my way that that particular night. And um, then I started hearing from them much more often after that. During the recruiting process, uh, how many visits did you make? Were the official visits unofficial? Those are probably terms that weren't even talked about back then. Yeah, there there were at least to my knowledge, there was no such thing as uh, official and unofficial. And you could really make as many visits as you wanted to. Uh, there was a couple I was tempted to go to, like the University of Hawaii Rainbows <laughs> and the UCLA. I was tempted to go to both of those, but they were just too far away from home. So we kind of limited it to um, five schools that we thought would be uh, academically uh, or professionally wise for me to go to. And those included uh, Southern Methodist University in Dallas, um, Duke University, don't, don't boo too loudly about that, uh, Vanderbilt, Northwestern, and uh, Kentucky. When it came to the final decision, had you not chosen Kentucky, who would have been the winner? I've thought about that in the past, and I believe, and I don't, you, no one knows what you would have done you know, 50 years ago, but I believe it probably would have been Vanderbilt. I liked uh, Coach Skinner. Uh, I liked the campus in Nashville, and I liked, uh, liked the facilities, Memorial um, what do they call it? They don't call it Coliseum Memorial yes. Hall or something. No, like Memorial that. Gym. Memorial Gym. Memorial Gym. That's it. I like yeah. Memorial Gym. I knew it wasn't Coliseum because that's what we played. Well, in did, did that have its greatest shooting uh, perception as players? I've heard many players say that was a great gym to shoot in. Well, I guess it was. I know my junior year, my, my sophomore year when we went down there, we were ranked either number one or number two at the time. I think number one. They were ranked two or three. And we beat them uh, 105 to 90. And um, Louis had uh, Louis Dampier had like 43 points or something, 42 points. And of course, that was before there was a three-point shot. So 
yeah, it must have been pretty good. When you came to Kentucky, uh, did you have a signing ceremony? Uh, how did you go about announcing that you were going to attend a certain school at that time? There was no big deal at that time. I mean, you know, you can forget about a news conference or any of that kind of stuff or an announcement on television or anything. I mean, you just got together. They sent the paperwork. I think that probably Coach Reed was in Centray. He probably brought the paperwork. And my mom and dad and I sat down with my high school coach, and they took a picture, and it was in the local paper. And that was pretty much it. The uh, Were there any all-star games you played in? Uh, we didn't have uh, high school all-star games at that time. I did play in a college all-star game once after I finished my career here. I played up in uh, East-West game up in Erie, Pennsylvania. Because they, they had said they were going to have a Kentucky player, and Thad was supposed to play, Thad Jarris, and couldn't. So they asked me if I could, and I'd just gotten the cast well, you, you off my leg. You know who founded that play. game? No. And was ahead of it I from don't. the get-go? Adolph Rupp. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's, that's why that's there was going to be a Kentucky player. That's why it. there was going to be a Kentucky <laughs> player. Okay, well, I went to that game and, and played and, uh, and, and did all right, considering it was the first time I'd played in about two months at that time. When you came to Kentucky your first year, a freshman year, uh, who all came in with you that you recall? We had a big class. I think there were six of us. Uh, there's, of course, uh, Jim LeMaster, uh, Tommy Porter, Thad Jarrah's, myself, Steve Clevenger, and Bobby Talent. And, of course, that first year you played freshman games against some JCs, I think. That's correct. We played uh, freshman games against other freshmen like the um, like Xavier and Cincinnati, and then we played against like Marathon Oil and, and people like that, yes. So uh, your freshman year, the varsity has one of their more or less off years during that era. They finished the season at 15 and 10. Correct. Um, they were looking forward to the next year in the class you all had coming in. Plus, everybody would be a year older. Who was your Who was your coach for the freshman team that year? Coach Lancaster. Harry Lancaster was our coach. What do you remember most about him? <laughs> uh, coach Lancaster was not one you would cross. Um, very strict disciplinarian. Um, he was um, – you didn't want to get on his bad side, which luckily I never did. Uh, but um, he was um, very much like Coach Rupp. I, of course, he'd been with Coach Rupp for – years and years as his assistant at that time. And, um, of course, I also should mention that on my freshman class, because we had a large class and the varsity wasn't that big, we did practice with the varsity every day. So we practiced with the varsity every day, and then frequently, like two or three times a week, we would the freshmen would practice by themselves. But we practiced with the varsity every day. So I practiced against John Adams every day, basically, and Terry Mobley and Randy Emery and uh, Conley and – Cron and Riley and Dampier and all those guys. So we had four years of Coach Rupp. So the next year is the big year. I don't know that all that many people were expecting for Kentucky to be as good as they were going into that year. I don't think so. I mean, coming off a 15-10 and 10, uh, year and then having a bunch of inexperienced people coming back, even though there were four starters coming back, I, I don't uh, don't think that there were that high of expectations. I don't know what the preseason ranking was, but I would bet we probably weren't in the top 25. And, and of course, people today do not understand that back then you only had 24 teams going to the tournament. 
and you generally only had one team per conference. If you didn't win your conference, no matter how good you were, you didn't get in. That is correct. You only had the conference champion from the Big Ten, from the SEC, the ACC, Pac, Pac at that then time. Pac eight. Pac eight. Yes. Yeah, but uh, that is correct. They had a, a few. Uh, uh, individuals, but you could only have one per conference. You had to be a conference champion to go. And today, when we see so many cupcakes on the schedules of these teams before the SEC starts, that 66 season, I think, you had one cupcake as it would be prescribed today. It wasn't even a cupcake then. Hardin-Simmons was a pretty well-known school back yeah, then. Yeah, Hardin-Simmons was, the I think, the very first game of the year, if I remember yes. correctly. And then you followed that up with Virginia, Illinois, Northwestern, Air Force, Indiana, Texas Tech, Notre Dame, and St. Louis before you got to the SEC. That is correct, yes. And you were often running pretty quickly. Uh, you won the UKIT when Indiana was in it. That is correct, yeah. yeah. And before you know it, as Cal would say, you're looking at 40 and 0 on it. It wasn't 40 and 0, but uh, yeah. you were undefeated going into the next, to the last regular season game. That is in correct. Knoxville. It was an um, unusual schedule in that we played Tennessee on a Saturday at home, and then we were off till the next Saturday, and we played Tennessee in Knoxville. So there was only a, a week's separation which was uh, kind of a quirk in the scheduling. The, the other thing that I saw in the scheduling, it wasn't unusual to play three straight road games in a conference or three three straight home games. Do you remember what brought that on? I really don't remember that. I know that the road games, a lot of times, of course, um, due to um, transportation back then, because we flew in a DC-3, not, not a jet, and we used to go to, we would always play uh, Florida and Georgia back-to-back, Auburn and Alabama back-to-back, um, and then LSU, and it was either usually Mississippi State or Ole Miss we would play. Uh, Speaking of that, how, how was travel? I mean, did you ever do anything other than that DC-9? Well, the DC, it was a DC-3 now. DC-3? Yeah, and that's a, yeah, twin, nine, that, that's a, that's a twin engine prop, uh, a tail dragger, and it was Purdue Airlines. And uh, the only time that we did not use that is when we went to uh, play Texas Tech in Lubbock. Uh, we flew commercial, as I remember, to Dallas and then got to Lubbock. However, we got to Lubbock. I don't even remember. When did the pressure begin to build or did it during that regular season? Because, you know, everybody wants to remember that season as the season you played Texas Western. But you didn't even – that wasn't even on the radar until it happened. That is true. Um, I don't know. You know, being undefeated, um, Kentucky is always Kentucky. And I've always been Kentucky. So, anytime we played anyone, it was a big game for them. We, you see that today. Uh, a lot of teams in the SEC uh, will have uh, mediocre attendance at their games until the Kentucky game, and the Kentucky game basically is sold out every time. And it was that way that uh, at that time, too. And so uh, we started feeling it, I think, probably in January a little bit. Uh, we went into double overtime with Georgia, for example, down in Athens, and um, we had a, a big game against uh, Vanderbilt when they had Clyde Lee down in Nashville, and they were highly ranked in the top five team in the country, too. Um, so we were starting to feel the pressure. But it, it was not like the pressure today. It's just it wasn't as much media as today. Being a sophomore, and I assume being a reserve on the sophomore team, one of your biggest games that year uh, was against Tennessee in the next to the last testing, the game here at Memorial. Mm -hmm. uh, you had 10 points. 
played 33 minutes, the fifth most minutes in that game. It looks like that Jerez either was unhealthy or something. He only played seven minutes now. Do you remember what happened there? I think it was foul trouble. I don't remember for sure. Um, he had, had three fouls, but that could have come early. They could have come early, and that's usually what would happen. Uh, if if he got his third foul, then Adolph would look down the bench, and I was in. And Red Robbins was their uh, center that year, and Howard Bain was their power forward. They had a big, powerful team at Tennessee, well, that so night, I did that, play a lot. That night, you out-rebounded Tennessee 46-27. to so you did a pretty good job on them there. We, I guess we did. I don't think I played that much the next week. That's that's still kind of a rub with me. Because <laughs> so the, the next week we lost down in Knoxville, and and I didn't play very much in that game, and uh, that's something that that always baffled me. I, I remember uh, that cliff as there were two guys in Lexington that had bet on Kentucky winning and losing the first game of the season. And, of course, Kentucky won, and the guy said, okay, I'll go double or nothing. And they did. And that went all the way up to the final week, and it got to be headlines in the paper. Mm. And it was something ridiculous figure, like $18,000 from right. that what started out as a $1 bet. That's double a lot of nothing. money today, but back then that was a whole lot a of money. A whole lot of money. <laughs> and, and, of course, the, the guy finally won on that last loss gotcha. of that season. Gotcha. But when you got into the tournament that year, were you beginning suddenly – to feel any pressure then? I guess probably because I was a sophomore, it didn't didn't really mean anything to me. Uh, you actually you actually had one more game after the Tennessee loss. We did, and that was at home against Tulane, and right. you 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 got your frustrations taken out on them pretty good. Yeah, we did. Then you went to Iowa City and you played right. both Dayton and Michigan. Yes, uh, we played Dayton and Michigan. That's the one a lot of uh, Western Kentucky people will still remember because Western Kentucky lost to Michigan in that. Uh, the same game when we were playing Dayton. Yes. Uh, and uh, so uh, Western, of course, was looking forward to playing UK, and it didn't happen because they didn't make it past Michigan. That was Cassie Russell's senior year at Michigan. And uh, there's a lot of people from Western feel like they should have won that game. Yes, a lot. A and lot. we still know a lot of them, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so, so, so you get into the Final Four, and quite frankly, at that time, it wasn't even called the Final Four. That name had not come around yet. That is correct. It, it was, was just, just the finals. semifinals yeah, and, and, and finals. In the finals. They just call it the NCAA Finals. Yeah. And and uh, you played back-to-back games, too. You didn't have a day off. Didn't have a day off. You played um, Duke. We played Duke uh, on, a, uh, I think, a Friday night. Friday night, then. that's correct. And then we played uh, Texas Western on Saturday night. Yeah. That's exactly so right. So, on, on Friday night, you beat Duke. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quite frankly, that should have been the title game because Kentucky was one and Duke was two. That's right. And, of course, Texas Western was three. That's right. So you beat Utah, as I remember. That is correct. And you beat Duke, 83 to 79, played Texas Western. And as I recall it, it it still wasn't the the race game as everybody prepared it. No, it was was never the race game. It really wasn't. and if you follow what um, players from Texas uh, Western or now Texas El Paso uh, say, they would tell you the same thing. It was just basketball. It was never a race thing. Had Kentucky lost to Duke that night? I know you've been asked this probably a few times. Do you think the game would have been remembered if it had been Duke and Texas Western like it was from Kentucky and Texas? Or was this just a way that some people who did not like your coach took advantage of it. 
I think that's what happened. I think it still would have been looking back on it. They would have brought it up that Duke was all white Southern school against uh, uh, all black starters from uh, Texas Western. And, and let me just add one thing out there because you've said it right. Most people today will say an all white school against an all black school. Right. They did have white players. They did. They did, but they didn't. They didn't start, start. Right. in the game. And just like you know, a couple of years before that. Loyola of Chicago started four African-American players against a, a team, and they, they won. And, but there was never a big deal made about that either. Uh, but I think there would have been a deal made about it had it been Duke, but not as big a deal because I think uh, Coach Rupp had a, a bigger target than Vic Bubis would have had on his back. Uh, let's talk just a little bit about that, Eric, because that's when the time starts to change with African-Americans playing in the Deep South, in particular SEC, mm-hmm. ACC a couple of years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Kentucky had played a number of teams that had African-Americans in non-conference play. Yes. Uh, would, would, would you have felt comfortable in playing in the Deep South at that time if you were African-American? Ooh, that's a hard one for me to answer, but um, I did play with African-American uh, young men when I was in high school. Uh, and quite frankly, there were some towns in Illinois where we had to have a police escort in and out of. Uh, one of them, um, just, and it's the truth, so it's not really saying things bad about them, was Benton, Illinois. And Benton is the hometown of um, uh, Doug Collins. And when we went to Benton, we had to have a police escort in and out because they had no African Americans living in the city of Benton. So obviously there was no one going to their high school. And so I was I was used to playing with African Americans, and but I th- think if I could put myself in their position, I would not have been comfortable about. It. I give Perry Wallace a lot of credit, um, who was at Vanderbilt and was a year behind me, for being the first uh, African American in the SEC. And then of course when we went down to Greensboro when I was a senior and played North Carolina, Charlie Scott was a sophomore that year, and was the first um, African American to play in the ACC as I recall. Now may have been one earlier at the same time at Maryland, I'm not sure, but he was one of the first. As the game wound down and you lost the game there in College Park, uh, how devastating was that to come back to Lexington after you had gotten so close, first to a perfect season and then to a championship? Only to lose. Yeah, it, w- it was pretty devastating. It really was. Um, of course, everyone thought we had a chance to go again because a lot of us were juniors or, or, or sophomores. We only lost a few seniors, but they happened to be very key seniors uh, that we lost that year, and Tommy Cron and Larry Conley. But we were devastated. There's no, there's no other word for it. I, I know uh, at the time, I was just getting out of college too the year before, and, and I thought the next year was a foregone conclusion Kentucky would win. But I guess that was the first time I finally started realizing that without guards, you can't win the long run. Yeah. And Cron and Conley probably were more revered years later than they were actually during their playing time because of that. That may, that may be true. They, I'm certain they were more appreciated. Um, they, um, they meant a lot to that team. A lot of uh, team cohesion came from them. And I really don't – I've not spoken about this before, but I don't think that making our trip um, overseas that summer was really very helpful for that particular team. Um, after losing that game and then going uh, overseas for like five weeks uh, for the State Department to play um, goodwill tours over in, uh, in Europe and in uh, the Middle East, um, 
we played a lot of basketball and a lot of practice, and it was like a five-week road trip. And then to turn around and start again, I think that's why we the next year we just came out and just didn't have it. Well, going to that next year, I mean, it seemed like you were sandwiched there with that 15-10 season, then to have the great season in 66. And then you came back uh, with, like you said, a strong nucleus, but you were minus the two veteran guards. And then you lost a player midway or probably two-thirds way through the season when I think Bob Talent left the club. Mm -hmm. What happened there? Well, there was a problem, um, and I didn't know about the problem at the time, but there was a problem uh, with uh, Bob and Coach Rupp. And I think it happened at the Tennessee game, uh, and um, some words were said and some things were said and some feelings got hurt, and before we knew it, Bob was gone. And was that a, was that a factor in how that season I, – I know in that season in particular, uh, you had a stretch there in February where you played three consecutive games, February 25th at Alabama, February 27th at Auburn, March the 4th at Vanderbilt. You had two or three stretches where you either played three in a row at home or three in a row on the road. That's got to be tough when they're on the road. That That's true. It is. Uh, and and we, we didn't handle it very well. Uh, and as you know, we ended up 13 and 13 that season and um, was the only uh, year that Coach Rupp came close to having a losing season. What, was Riley hurt that year? Yeah, he was. He had a bad back. Sure did. And then, of course, we come to the 67-68 season, which is your final year here. And you guys were starting to really play well again. Yeah, we had a lot of good freshmen come in. Uh, we had, uh, don't tell Pratt I said this, but Mike Pratt and Mike Casey and Dan Issel now, now, all now, came don't, in. Wait a minute. Now, don't you want to say something really nice about Mike right here? I mean, you know. Mike's a good guy. He's a good friend of mine. and. Uh, but, you know, we always kid each other. That's yes. something you always do when you're teammates and yes. probably always will do. But 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 y'all played really well that year. You ended up the season fifth in the nation in both polls. Right. I, and I did tell Mike something that he had forgotten. Uh, I ended up that season with a cast on my leg. I didn't play the last two regular season games, and I didn't play in the NCAA. Yeah, I, I know that. Your senior season was sort of bittersweet. It started out good, and then you had the injuries there at the end. Uh, did you feel like maybe you would like to have had one more year because that next year could have been awfully good? It would it would have been good. You're, you're right. It would have been good to have one more year. I would have liked to have just been one more game because, as you know, that last game that we lost to Ohio State in the Medias Regional at uh, Memorial, yes. I had the cast taken off my leg the next day. So um, – that was that, that was that was one of the all time toughest losses. That was and being to Ohio State too. Being to Ohio State, being the last game, and of course Mike uh, Pratt being from Ohio, I reminded him of, of that, and he said he had forgotten because he still gets a hard time from some of those Ohio State guys. Oh, he to does. This day, yes, sure does. When you were playing at Kentucky in your college, what was the uh, outside the Coliseum? What was some of the best gyms you enjoyed playing in? Uh, well, I, that would obviously be the places that I played well. <laughs> so I would say Vanderbilt. Um, I like Vanderbilt's gym, Memorial. Uh, I liked uh, – I, I had a very really good game my uh, junior year at both um, LSU and uh, at Mississippi State. Uh, both of those, uh, of course, at LSU at that time, 
was when we played in the Cow Palace. They had to bring in the uh, portable floor into where they had the rodeos because that was um, that was a year before Marovich uh, started. He was a freshman actually at LSU my junior year, and so they didn't have the house that uh, Pete built. Uh, I did not enjoy uh, Auburn uh, because that was the Quonset Hut. Yeah, yeah, the wooden one that seated yeah. two thousand people. <laughs> Or Alabama that seated like 3,500 that had the balcony overlooking the floor. Didn't enjoy that one either. Uh, but uh, the, the facilities have gotten so much better than they were back in, in those days. And as, as being Kentucky being Kentucky, I enjoyed going to all of them where we uh, played the inaugural game there. We played the inaugural game at Virginia. We played the inaugural game at Michigan. Um, and I think a couple others, but your then in your junior year, you were on a r- real big roll. You had double figures in nine of your last ten games. Your three high scoring games, your career mm-hmm. were back to back to back. Yes. As you mentioned a minute ago, LSU twenty four, Mississippi twenty six, Mississippi State twenty three. Yeah. Uh, did you know something on Coach up those nights that they worked the ball to you? Or? No, uh, it just happened. I was in a zone. You know how they say you're in a zone yeah. in the ball in the basket. I shot about seventy five percent for those three games. Um, well, with, now, now, now let me just, let me just test oh, your accuracy it? on that. Okay, okay. So about seventy five. Here's what he did: ten for thirteen, pretty good. Eleven for fifteen and ten for fifteen. I think you're all right. Yeah, pretty close. Pretty close. Pretty close. Um, And we were playing, for example, at Ole Miss. uh, They were playing a zone the first half, and I had 20 points at halftime. And, of course, they went to a man-to-man second half, and Louis Dampier had all the points second half. (laughs) Give me a little recollection of uh, the players you played against during your four years at Kentucky. Who are some of the best players that you competed against? My sophomore year, it would be – Directly would be Clyde Lee, who was the All-American center at Vanderbilt. Henry Finkel, who was the All-American center at Dayton. Uh, didn't play guard him, but Cassie Russell, I mentioned earlier, was mm-hmm. the uh, number one draft pick in the NBA out of Michigan. We played in the Mid-East Regional Finals. Um, Donnie May out of Dayton was also an extremely Dayton was good really player. good back in they that were era, were very they? good that year, yeah. Um, my uh, junior year, uh, Tom Borwinkle. Out of Tennessee, Big Tom, you know, played for, the, footer. played for the Chicago Bulls for a long yes, time. Yes, he did. Let's see, my junior, who else would have been really good? Um, uh, Neil Walk out of Florida, mm-hmm. uh, really good 6'10 center. Uh, played for um, the Suns, I think, and the Knicks. Yes. Uh, my senior year. Um, Was Pistol in your senior year or not? Who's that? Pistol. Pistol. Pete. That My senior year would yeah. be, we played against Pistol twice. Uh, he, I think, scored 59 and 55 points. Um, I think his his stat sheets only started at 50 and, and then went up. We beat him by about 15 yeah. points both times because, you know, Coach Rupp, he'd say, well, you let that boy go ahead and get his points and we'll he'll, get he'll shoot 40% and we'll shoot 50 and we'll get <laughs> ours and we'll beat him. And that's pretty much what happened. Let's see. We had Pistol Pete um, um, Hoskett out of um, Ohio Ohio State. State. I didn't get to play against him, but I was there watching that last (laughs) game. David Latin, who played for Texas Western, of course, when I was a sophomore, was very good. And uh, quick on quick was uh, Bobby Joe Hill, the the guard that stole the ball back-to-back on us uh, in the the final game up there in uh, Bethesda. Let's go talk a little bit about coaches you played against. Okay. Good and bad. What do you mean by bad? Well, somebody that you particularly didn't like. Ooh, ooh, put me on the spot here. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, I never really got to where I didn't like coaches. Um, I didn't particular. I wasn't particularly fond of uh, uh, Coach McGuire out of Marquette, and we did play them a couple of times when I was there. Um, I really got along pretty well with most of the coaches, including our own. Thank goodness. Um, some of them had tried to uh, recruit me. Um, th- that, um, like Coach Sloan, who was at Florida for a while, then went on to NC State, uh, and Bartlett, who had been his assistant. Um, of course, Ray Mears. If you had to stick one, just because he was successful against us. Um, what about Babe McCarty? Never. I never played against him. You didn't play against no, him. I think he was out of it by the time I. Pl- I'm pretty sure he wasn't coaching head coach by then now he may have been I don't remember if so there was no hard feelings against him I you know we never did win at Knoxville when I when I was on the plane three years uh, we never people, won the game people will forget from the early 60s up until 85 seldom won it uh, uh, for years it was labeled the house of horrors yeah, it, it's hard place to play well we found that out and the ma- other night yeah, it's and, just and, not and this is a different that. arena now that's right but the old stokely was yeah, something the else. old stokely that's right in the orange tie club yes you remember those guys yes yes it's like the I, not nothing like the 101 club that wear the blue jackets at rupp arena these guys all had orange ties they all sat down at the behind the baskets and they were rowdy and not very nice but uh coach mears uh, was a tough coach we never had much success against him uh, we always did all right up here, but down there in Knoxville, they were What really did you think when you would come out in the early warnings and see them on the unicycles? Did they have the unicycles when you were there? They did. They did. Yeah. Didn't know what to think. <laughs> I, I mean, you're speechless. I did. First now, time now, now, this was at the height of the time when the university on home games, if the games were on a Monday night here, on a weeknight, uh, distributed uh, – what we would call overripe oranges at lunch. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, they, they've uh, been known to have a few oranges tossed at them um, in, uh, during the game or during halftime or whatever. That's The student section would be um, uh, well, not real friendly toward the University Supposedly, of the visiting team always had to come to the Coliseum to get to their locker room. They had to walk in the main entrance down the line and then take a right and go back under the stands. I imagine that's right. Now, I've never been in the uh, – And uh, supposedly, the, <laughs> with the students there, that's when they let the oranges go because there was no officials, no right, technical right, fouls. Right. Now, I, n- I never uh, never went in the visitor's locker room, so I don't oh. know even where it was at, at Memorial. I only knew where ours was. I mean, that was back in the day when uh, Mr. Wildcat was just a young man. I mean, he had <laughs> just joined, and, and Mr. Uh, – Bill Kitely. Bill Kitely had just gotten there, uh, and uh, Huke, Mr. Huckel, was yes, in charge George. of George. Yeah, George Huckel. He was he was our equipment yeah. manager, and and Bill was really just uh, just starting to come around at that time. Your four years here, your biggest thrill. Biggest thrill in the four years here. Oh gosh, uh, you look back on it now. I guess uh, being in the national championship game. It'd be the biggest thrill and the biggest disappointment, both. It was a thrill to get there. It was such a disappointment we didn't win. Um, but I guess now, looking back on it, the biggest thrill is just to say, you know, I um, I played at Kentucky. I lettered three years at K- University of Kentucky in basketball. So 
that game was also your biggest disappointment? I think so. You stay in touch with any of the former players? Oh, yes, we do. Uh, we had a, a little reunion um, last summer, not this past summer, but the summer before. Uh, Tommy Porter put together down at um, the Golf Club of Tennessee down in Nashville, and uh, a bunch of the Rupp's Runts uh, team and a few of the uh, guys who overlapped with us all got together down there for a couple of days of telling stories and having good times. And, and Coach Hall came down uh, from Lexington and, and spent, the, spent the day with us, and we had, a, we had a blast. We really did. And then I see some of the guys like my roommate, Tommy Porter, I see him uh, and Jim LeMaster more frequently. But um, we all try to get together occasionally, have a good time. Let me uh, just uh, go through, and you give me a, a line of what you remember about these players that you played with. Let's start with Pat Riley. Super competitive. Louis Dampier. Best shooter I ever saw. Thad Jarris. Quick for his, deceptively quick for his size. Larry Conley. Um, Larry, I'm trying to best express this, but he was one that would rather share the ball than shoot the ball. Tommy Cron. Tommy was, a, a he was one of the best of the best. He was all around a tough nosed six foot five guard when you didn't have six foot five guards with arms and legs and super competitive. Bob Talent. Could fill him up. Steve Clevenger. Bulldog. Brad Bounds. Spot shooter. Jim LeMaster. Oh, gosh, i got to be nice now because I always, I always kid Jim because he was in the legislature here and all those kinds of things later. So uh, Jim was a, a Kentucky boy whose proudest moments was having the Kentucky jersey on his back. Gene Stewart. Great leaper. 44-inch vertical. Tommy Porter. Shooter. Gary Gamble. Competitor. Bob Windsor. Football player. <laughs> Turned basketball player. Now let's get down to the real nitty-gritty. Dickie Parsons. Dickie Parsons. Uh, Dickie was uh, the scouting coach when I was here. Uh, so he would come in and tell us, you know, what he had seen of the other team run, whether they were running zones, whether they were running man-to-man, -man, uh, what kind of offensive sets they would run and all that. And uh, I didn't know much about Dickey. I didn't know about his playing career here. I just knew he was very knowledgeable about what he was spelling out for us. Neil Reed. Neil's a recruiter. He's a, a glad-hander recruiter. Joe Hall. Joe Hall. Oh, gosh, i got to be careful about this one, too, because I see him. Yeah, because he listens to these things. Oh, he does. Okay. Yes, he does. Um, Joe Hall, um, U.K. coach through and through, and one of the best gentlemen I've ever met. Adolph Rupp, your relationship, go a little bit deeper on this one. Well, Coach Rupp and I weren't, didn't have the perfect relationship, but we did not have an adversarial relationship. Um I don't think I was as good as he wanted me to be, and I wasn't quite as good as I would have liked to have been. Uh, I wasn't quite fleet uh, foot fast enough to play um, fast break basket, Kentucky basketball. Probably would have fit better in at Vanderbilt or Tennessee where they were a little slower with more sets. But um, 
he was uh, always treated me fairly, um, always backed me whenever I needed it, and uh, and um, I have no complaints. After your final season in '68, mm-hmm. you were drafted in the NBA, correct? By the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, that's correct. And uh, in the ninth round, I believe, but you chose the go ahead and get into the real world instead of going and playing the NBA. Yes, that was the very first year the Milwaukee Bucks came into existence. So it was expansion draft, which means they drafted from unprotected players from other NBA teams, and they had the college draft. So a fair chance you might be able to make the team. Uh, but I had already been accepted into dental school. Uh, I knew I wanted to go to become a dentist, so I decided to go to the University of Kentucky Dental School. So you're, you sort of become a trailblazer in doing that. I mean, there have been another player, too, who sort of copycatted you or followed in your footsteps. Have you ever been uh, given a phone courtesy phone call saying you were my idol? No, I never have. I, I like to kid uh, Bob Guyette about it, um, mainly because there were so many similarities. You know, Bob played here and finished in 75. And, and he a final lost, four game. And a final four game, lost in the finals, just like I did. He's also from Illinois, just like I am. Also six foot nine. Also wore number forty five. Also married a girl from Kentucky. Also went to dental school at the University of Kentucky and became an oral and maxillofacial surgeon, like I did. Except I did it before he did. So I always said he was trying to copy my life. And of course, uh, Chuck Verderber. Uh, was also a, a Kentucky basketball player that went on to dental school here. From at, uh, Illinois. UK. From Illinois, went to UK dental school. So uh, I wouldn't say I blazed the trail, but uh, there have been a few similar paths. Since since you uh, left Kentucky, uh, you went to Georgia? That is correct. Savannah, Georgia. Savannah? I uh, went into a residency in Augusta, Georgia, which everyone knows is the home of the Masters Golf Tournament. And was there for three years and then went into private practice in Savannah in 1975 and was in practice there until 2012. The late Happy Chandler once said he never met a Kentuckian who wasn't either looking for a way to get back home or was on his way back here. You ended that up sounds back like here. Him. That sounds like him. Yes, it does. Uh, one, of the, one of the people old enough to remember Happy and to remember uh, Colonel Sanders and his white suit and Everybody asked me, is that the true character? I said, oh, yes, absolutely was. Um, but, uh, yeah, Happy was one of a kind. He really was. How would you like to be remembered? I think probably as a, a player who tried to, um, to give his best at what he did, uh, both on and off the court. Thanks. Thank you. Our thanks to Cliff Berger for taking the time to sit down and talk to Oscar about his life and his career at Kentucky. For more episodes of Conversations with Oscar Combs, you can go to oscarcombs.com and click on the podcast page. To subscribe to Conversations with Oscar Combs via iTunes or through the Google Play Store, just search for at Wildcat News and you will see Oscar's picture with one of the runs, Larry Conley. Hit subscribe and new episodes will automatically download to your device. And if you really want more from Oscar, follow him on Twitter at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson thanking you for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs and his guest, Cliff Berger.